you can always tell old school preachers. And, uh, and by the way, not, not this, but this. This is my pulpit. Old school. That's what I know. So this is going to be glorious. So reach down, grab a hold of your seat, and hold on tight. Because this is a glorious message. And it comes right out of your Bible. And probably you've read this message before. And I wonder if you saw or see what I see. How many discussions have taken place amongst those of us in this room regarding the coming of Jesus? I'm sure many. The words of Jesus, just as the lightning flashes from the east all the way to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So there you go. You don't have to worry if somehow you missed it and Jesus showed up in Falls City. Not going to be that way. But Bob, I'm, my name's Bob, by the way, but Bob. <laughs> but Bob, isn't there more? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. In the Revelation, I looked and behold, I saw this great white horse. Now we're into horses. And he who sat upon him was named Faithful and True, and his eyes were like flames of fire. And the armies of heaven were riding behind him on white horses. Revelation 19, oh my. Is there any chance that you and I are going to be part of that army? I don't know, maybe. But if we are, I want you to know this. My white horse is bigger and better than anyone else's white horse. The best white horse, other than Jesus. But there's more. You guys know the great rapture, if in fact the rapture is what people think it is, popular topic today, caught up with him into the air, changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, all that's left of me is my pants and my shirt, and I'm gone into heaven, caught up with Jesus in heaven, coming of Jesus. Oh, wait a, wait a minute, Bob. I'm Bob. <laughs> wait a minute, Bob. Isn't Jesus supposed to reign from Jerusalem? Yes. Well, yeah, but that comes later. Oh, it comes later. So what you're telling me is that actually there's a second and a third coming. Hmm. Well, you know, now that I think about it, I'm not... I'm not real certain. Oh, there you go. I'm not real certain. That's a true statement, by the way. <clears throat> I know some people who are settled in their eschatology, 
end times. They know. They know what it's going to be like. And I say to them, good for you. Have you ever considered the vision and the worldview and the expectation of the apostles when they were walking with Jesus? They didn't know anything except what was revealed to them. And even when it was revealed to them directly by Jesus, they often misunderstood. And they were mistaken. The coming of Jesus, what is it going to be like? You know, the Jewish worldview, their expectations. This sermon has Peter, James, and John in it. What did Peter, James, and John expect, and why would they expect that? Well, from one of their scriptures, which, by the way, is also one of our scriptures, Malachi chapter 3, it reads like this. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. And he will be like a refiner's fire. And who can even stand when he comes? Oh my. Now there is a vision for you. I ask myself, what did the, what did the apostles expect? What do you expect? And if you don't, I'm challenging you today to have expectations, great expectations. And so, let's test our expectations today. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, Holy Lord Jesus, you have made yourself known. You have revealed yourself to us. You revealed yourself to your apostles, to your disciples. We have your word. We have the testimony of eyewitnesses. And yet, Lord, I know there is so much that we yet need to know. Your word has not revealed to us everything there is to know. But here is what we in this room know, Lord, we know you are coming. And so together we pray, Maranatha Jesus, even come now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Christ's name, amen. So I was assigned one of the most exciting passages in the Bible. The first half, the first third of the 17th chapter of Matthew. I had to get some context, so I went back and I grabbed a few verses from chapter 16 to set the context. So let's read it together. I'll have it on the screen for you. The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. And he will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the, listen, 
the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then good old Peter, he answered and said, Late Jesus, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise, don't be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming, and he will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him, and they did to him whatever they wish. And so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And it was then that the disciples understood that he had just spoken to them about John the Baptist. What an amazing text. Where in the world does a preacher begin with this one? And I'm a dangerous preacher. Ben said I could have no more than two hours, so sit tight. <laughs> exegesis, simple exegesis. And what are the scriptures telling us? That's what we're going to do. So I am going to share with you a classic three-point sermon. But I'm putting the importance of the points in reverse order the most important point will come last. So let's begin with point number one. Let's discuss the appearance of Moses and Elijah. What in the world is that? If you're not intrigued, then you need to learn to read the Bible. One of the ways you read the Bible is you enter into the story. And by the way, you have the power to do that. It's called contemplation. Get into it. You see yourself in the story, and there's Moses and Elijah. How in the world did they get there? Well, maybe they held like a spiritual seance. You know, like when the witch of Endor, you're familiar with the witch of Endor, and she brought up Samuel from the grave and was terrified because it was Samuel. She, at least she thinks it was. Maybe that's what this is. I don't think so. Maybe it's just a crazy dream. 
Interesting, though, all three synoptic gospels tell this story. So evidently, more than one person had the same crazy dream. Or just maybe. This is a divine, listen, reality. This is not just a divine biblical reality. This is a divine reality here, now, forever, and always. It is a part of your reality. And you are being given an opportunity to look and see. This is literally scripture come alive. There's many. I'm going to share with you one. In Romans 8, 28, there's this little passage many of us are familiar with. It goes like this. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. Hear it? He also predestined to be transformed into his glory. And there they are. Moses and Elijah. What in the world? Moses has been dead. I'm sorry, he's been dead for 1,500 years when this takes place. And there he is. Elijah. He's been gone wherever he went in that chariot. He's been gone for 900 years. And there he is on that mountain. And Jesus told the Sadducees just before this experience, he told them, he said, you need to understand, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Oh, oh, 15 year, 1,500 year old Moses. Interesting. There's too many questions in this text to not just grab your attention and to get you excited. How in the world did Peter, James, or John, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? The text does not tell you. The Bible does that a lot, by the way. Did you know that? It loves to leave mystery. Maybe Jesus introduced them. Maybe Jesus said, hey, Peter, James, and John, come over here. I want you to eat my, meet my friends, Moses and Elijah. Maybe. I doubt it, but maybe. Hey, hey, listen, people, think bigger. Or maybe Peter, James, and John, in that experience, somehow just knew them. Oh my goodness, that gets big. That gets big. That's interesting. I don't know how they knew them, but they did. They don't have photos of them in their wallet. That's not how they knew. All three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, carry this story. This is a big story. Small variations, which we're going to pick up on some of those. But Luke tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, listen, in glory. What does that mean? I don't know. I think I know. I can't tell you for certain, 
but they appeared with Jesus in glory. In other words, they were not outside of the glory. They were in the glory. And the apostles told us that the day will come when we will see him like he is because we will have become like him. My guess is Moses and Elijah were pretty brilliant figures, probably shining, probably emanating shining light, probably, I don't know. But they were in glory. They were not outside of glory. Another question. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glorified state. How could that be? How could that be? They said that his countenance was so bright, it was like looking at the sun. Have you tried that, looking at the sun? Not a good idea. Don't go out looking at the sun. But somehow they were able to, and they saw his face, they saw his face, people, as bright as the sun. How is that possible? Scriptures tell us that we will see him as he is because we will have become like him. It's clear to me. Peter, James, and John were also in glory. And they were able to experience this. Luke tells us something a little more. Luke tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Try to put yourself in, in the disciples' shoes. What in the world? His departure, where is he going? The words of Jesus, John 14, he said that where I am, there you may be also, and you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And Thomas speaks up and he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way. Oh, that's what's going on here. We are seeing Jesus where he was going. So where's that? Well, it's right there on the mountain. <laughs> Bigger than that. The words of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is where? It's at hand. Where's that? It's at hand. It's right there. Very, very fascinating, his departure and where he was going. Are you intrigued yet? There's a lot more. I pray that you are. Why? Why? Moses and Elijah. There's some big figures in the Old Testament. There's some big figures from the Jewish world. Why not Abraham, the father of us all? Why not King David, the one through whom the line came the Messiah, Jesus? Why not Abraham and David? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, maybe it has to do with importance. Moses and Elijah must be more important. That's how we think. You know, you know, my white horse is bigger and better than your white horse? I don't think so. The words of Jesus were clear. 
in the kingdom of heaven, to be first, you have to be last. To last is going to be first. To be great, you have to become small. So if Jesus is speaking to us reality, this has nothing to do with importance. There is a message here. And the message is found in these two characters. Moses. Who is he? Moses is the one who God used to lead an enslaved people into freedom. Moses worked the miracles of God in amazing ways. But most importantly, listen, Moses brought the Jews their constitution. He brought them a covenant of law. And that covenant of law is so significant, so strong, so ingrained in culture that 1,500 years later, these people are still living by that law. It's that important. But wait a minute, it's way more important than that because it's important to you. That law is so strong that it has defined for us the concept of righteousness. We still live by it. Even though we know Christ is our king and we live by his law, the law of love. But we know righteousness because it's defined here by Moses. And what happens when we learn what righteousness is? We learn that we're not righteous. And we learn that my only hope is a savior. That's referred to as the law of Moses. Still big today. All these years later. And Elijah? Ooh, this is big. Elijah is one of God's prophets. What in the world is a prophet? A prophet is a person who God uses to intercede with the people on his behalf. In other words, they are God's mouthpiece. It carries with it tremendous responsibility. Because, God forbid, if you're going to speak on God's behalf and you speak falsehood, now you have to answer to God. But God forbid, if the message that God gives you is a difficult message and you don't want to do it, so you play the game of Jonah and you jump on your Harley and you run to Nineveh. Ah, you don't want to do that either. You must speak the truth, no matter what. Elijah is known for challenging the prophets of Baal. It was a horrible form of worship that involved all sorts of occult means, but it even involved sexuality. It was a fertility cult. And if we get excited enough and we have enough sex going on, then we're going to bring fertility to the crops. It was an agrarian culture. And Elijah says, no, this is not of God. And he challenged them and he crushed them. He crushed them. And then he ran for his life from a woman, Jezebel. 
fascinating story. Here's what's interesting. The scriptures are very clear. We fill two roles in the church today. One of them is the role of the priesthood. Did you know that? You are a royal priesthood, according to the scriptures. What is a priest? A priest does not intercede with the people on behalf of God. A priest intercedes with God on behalf of the people. The go-between, pray for me, I need God in my life, and you come and you pray for me, and you call out to God on my behalf. The scriptures are very clear. You're also called upon to be God's prophet. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he said, pray above all that you may prophesy. Because when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you prophesy, people's hearts are convicted and they will fall on their knees and worship God. That's a huge responsibility, people. Do you understand who you are? That's a big responsibility. And that is who we are. The term Moses and Elijah is the term, the law and the prophets. What is going on? The law and the prophets is what we today refer to as the old covenant. And what is going on here is we are right on the precipice of closing one covenant and opening a new covenant. And the message comes through in this story loud and clear. And that takes us to our third point, which is actually our first the first point is the message of glory, the glory of Jesus. This is a glorious message, people. Here's a very fascinating observation. The Apostle Peter witnessed this whole thing firsthand. He was one of the three. The Apostle Peter never wrote a gospel, but he did write two letters of which we have today. And in one of those letters, 2 Peter, you know what he does? He uses this experience that we're talking about today, and he uses it and writes to us and said, this is the assurance. Are you listening? This experience is the assurance of your hope in the gospel. Oh my gosh. Wrap your mind around that. The Apostle Peter saw Jesus walk on water. I'm telling you that if you saw me or anyone else walking on water, it's going to freak you out. That's a powerful experience. The Apostle Peter saw Jesus heal people with leprosy. He saw people heal blindness. He saw people heal deafness. He saw Peter heal lame people, and he just says, get up and walk, and they did. The apostle Peter saw Jesus raise people from the dead. That's right. Can you imagine that? The apostle Peter saw Jesus raised from the dead. 
But it's none of those that Peter uses as his statement of our assurance of the gospel. It's this story that we're reading today. And it's in 2 Peter. I want to share it with you. It's on the screen. Listen to him. He said, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there it is. That's where we started. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he had received honor and glory from God the Father, this utterance was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son, you listen whom, in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. And when we, <laughs> and when we were with him on the holy mountain, and so now we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will be do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. This is my son. You listen to him with Moses and Elijah standing right there. This is him. And there it is. The power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are right back to where we started. Let's go back to the opening text, Matthew 16. There are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I, I hope that you're reading every word. Mark has the same story. He's, his reads this way. There are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God coming with Power. Big words. Pay attention. The makers of modern Bibles have this really bad habit. And I've criticized them and they don't listen to me. They like to put these subheadings in your Bible. I'm, all I'm, the thing I want to tell you is be really careful with those. They bend your mind. I'm guessing, I don't know of what Bible you have, but probably there's a heading there, the transfiguration of Jesus. That's not what this is about. This is not about the transfiguration of Jesus. This is a revelation of the kingdom of heaven in which Jesus is the king. That's much bigger. That's a big story. And we've always thought, oh, this is just about Jesus shining on the mountain. No, it is not. From the texts that we have read, here is what we know for certain from the text. Jesus was in glory. His countenance was brighter than the sun. And Moses and Elijah were with him in glory. Now that's straight out of the Bible. Peter, James, and John were able to see the glory. That's straight out of the Bible. And they knew somehow it was Moses and Elijah. I don't know how. I think I know. But what we're not told is how could Peter and James see the glory? How did they know this? 
as I stated earlier, in order to see it, you had to be like him. Otherwise, you couldn't see it. All of this is a revelation. This is a kingdom experience. And by the way, this is the kingdom of which you are a part. This is a powerful experience. Past, present, and future is happening here all at the same time. Moses, 1,500 years dead. Elijah, 900 years gone. And there they are, just as prevalent as Jesus and the three disciples. We need to understand something. We tend to read this as though Peter, James, and John were over here in their chairs and this is happening over there and they're watching. That's not the way I read the text. How could Peter and John and James experience all that and see all that and know all that? I'll tell you how. It's because they were not witnesses of the experience. They were a part of the experience. That's why this impressed Peter so deeply. He realized this is an eternal kingdom in which Jesus is the king, and I'm a part. It's a powerful experience. And it's your experience. It's who you are. I'm going to share one final biblical observation, and then we'll get to our concluding points. There are other glorious visions in the Bible. I'm going to share just one. It's this vision that Daniel the prophet had way back during the time of the exile, about 450 years before Jesus. And here's what he writes. He said, I was by the bank of the great Tigris River, and I lifted my eyes and I looked, and behold, I saw this man dressed in fine linen, and his body was like beryl. Beryl is um, sapphire. Beryl is aquamarine, those transparent stones that are so brilliant. His face, his face, the appearance of lightning. His eyes were flaming torches, and the sound of his words were like a tumult. Whoa! A tumultuous voice. And at the sound of his words, I fell on my face. I fell on my face with my face to the ground. And then behold, a hand touched me and it said, Oh, Daniel, this being knew Daniel. And Daniel said, Oh, Lord, the vision is so powerful to me that I have left inside of me no strength. I can't get up. I don't even have the ability to breathe, is what he said. And the hand that touched him and the voice said, Daniel, oh man of high esteem, don't be afraid. And Daniel said he received his strength. What was Daniel's posture? Before, flat on his face, powerful experience. What in the world do we do with information like this? We do not go from a revelation such as this with your worldview, your spiritual worldview, unshaken. 
it better be shaken to its core. Here and only here is where we even begin to find the significance of worship. In, in the Old Testament, the word for glory, I told you at the beginning, this is going to be a glorious message. The word for glory is kabod, interesting word. In the New Testament, the word for glory is doxa, interesting word. They carry with them the significance of a tremendous weight, but in a positive sense. But it's an overwhelming weight, glory. We all know kneeling. I knew kneeling. Kneeling is in the Bible, but very little. You don't see a lot of kneeling. Did you know that? Look it up. Do your concordance. It's not in there a lot. You know what is in there a lot? Falling down. I got to kneel one time in church. I was ordained as a teacher many years ago in a church in Eugene. And to be ordained, we had to come up on the thing here, whatever this is called, and we had to kneel. So here's Bob, and then there's my friend who was being ordained at the same time. So we kneel, and here goes Bob, and I'm like this, I'm, I'm like this, and I look over, and I see my friend, and he was a cool guy, and he was like this. And I thought, oh, and so I quickly corrected my posture, and I got up on one knee, very proud. I was tremendously naive, and they were ordaining me as a teacher. Can you imagine that? I was so naive, I should have never been there. I should have been on my face. I should have fallen down. Instead of kneeling, we have falling down. King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, bowed his head with his face to the ground, and then all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and worshipped. In today's text that we just read, the disciples heard the voice of God and they fell down. The Apostle Paul writes in the Revelation when the Spirit glorified Christ appeared, he says, I fell down in his presence as though I was dead. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of glory. What are we going to do with this? Three simple things. Please take this home with you. Three simple points. Think about it. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. Consider everything that we've talked about and make sure you broaden your vision of who you are and where you are and why you are and how you are. Think big. Quit thinking little. That's who you are. Second, we're going to broaden our experience of worship. We fall down, and people are really scared now because 
I know Bob Sloan, and when he gets up there, he does crazy things. He's going to ask us to fall on our face. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm asking you to broaden your view of worship and what it is. Come, let us worship and bow down. You know that song? It's a powerful song. Coming into the presence of the Almighty God. Don't sing to the carpet. Don't sing to the people. Don't sing to the ceiling. Come into the presence of the Almighty. And third, most important, we're going to listen to Jesus. There's absolutely nothing more important that I could share with you from today's message. This is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. You listen to him. I'll tell you what, you are called by God to be a prophet and this world is filled with false religion. It's everywhere around you. If you don't know that, you need to pay attention. All sorts of crazy things are coming into the world of religion, into the world of your culture. Most of it is completely opposed to the word of God, to the word of Jesus. You don't listen to them. Do not listen to them. Call us rebels. Call us crazy. Call us those people. But whatever it is, the only one you listen to is Jesus. He is the authority. He is the power. He is the glory. And the thing that we come to realize is, oh my goodness, I'm in the midst of this now. When did that take place? When did this story take place? Yesterday, today, or tomorrow? Answer it. Yes. Absolutely yes. There is absolutely no relevance of time in the kingdom of heaven. You are just as prevalent in the kingdom of heaven as Moses and Elijah. You are just as much a part. This is a big message, and it really shook Peter to his core, and he said, this is our assurance. Just as Moses and Elijah were Jesus there on the mountain, you're going to be with him there on the mountain. You can be sure of this. So what are we going to do? We're going to worship together by taking communion the highest expression of worship in the Christian church, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And when he was betrayed, by the way, this happens just shortly after this incident. And when he was betrayed, this glorious individual is going to be betrayed by little men And when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then he took the cup and he gave it to them. You know what's fascinating? One of the things Jesus said about the cup, he said, I will never drink of this cup again until I drink it with you in my kingdom. Where's that?
When is that? Well, it's right there. It's right here. Not yet, already, always. The body of Christ, let's remember him. The blood of Christ, let's remember him. Almighty God, gracious Lord Jesus, you are the king. You are our Lord. We honor you. We worship you. We love you. We are yours forever. Always. In Christ's name, amen.